Good morning. We're going to ask you to stand for the whole service, so if you just stay up, uh, you can be seated. Thank you. I got to do it. I don't know why that is. I get to do it. Um, well, good morning. Um, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the shepherds here. And I just want to begin this service just simply by saying thank you for the many, many of you who have been praying for us, who have reached out for us. Our family has gone through a personal tragedy, and many of you have reached out, and it has been a blessing for us to be a part of a community that is so compassionate and so caring, and we're grateful for that. I'll say a little bit more about it later, but for now, I just wanted to say thank you. Uh, It's been a blessing to be a part of this community through a difficult time. But we're here to talk through John 10, and we're hoping that's not going to be difficult. But if you have uh, got your Bibles, uh, please open up to John 10. And in this passage, we're going to deal with... uh, a parable that Jesus laid out, but he did something here that made it a little complicated. He kind of listed out a lot of characters. Um, he listed out, a, some, it's a metaphor about sheep and shepherds and some other characters in it. And so we're going to talk through that and, and try to lay it out. One of the things I want you to do, though, just so that you don't panic as we read it, is to understand that our main goal this morning is to lay out three main um, ideas. One is of who Jesus is in this story and what he is going to do, what he did. The other one is to identify who they are, and there's a they in this story, and we're going to identify who they are and what they did or are doing. And then the last one is who we are and what we should be doing. So as we go through it, it's going to kind of take some twists and turns, and you may stop and think, gosh, I'm not even sure I'm following this. And that's, that's good. That's kind of, that says you're in the right chapter. But what we want to do is get you to a point to where you can understand who Jesus is, who they are, and who we are, and what our roles are accordingly, and especially for us, and understanding who Jesus is. So we're going to run through it really quick just to identify. There are literally 10 different kind of characters or, or individuals or things that play a role in this. So with verse 1, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by any other way, that man is a thief and a robber. So there's our first person. It's a man and it's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. There's a second one. To him, the gatekeeper opens. There's a third one. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follows, for they know his voice. A stranger, there's another one, they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So now you're in good company because you can go, yeah, I'm not sure I get it either. That's, that's, that's good. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. Now he's, he's the door. And all who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pastor. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and it's a different description than the other shepherds that have been talked about. But now it stops and says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand, that's a new character that's now in the scene, and not a shepherd. Um, he is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, a whole new character, and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep. So then we have sheep, and then we have other sheep. So you can get an idea that as we go through this, there's some confusion here. That even after I read it, I stopped and said, you know what, let's just skip to chapter 11. So verse 1 of chapter, no, we're going to stay with this. But again, the goal is to simply stop and say, who is Jesus? And what did he do? What is he here to do? Number two is, who are they? What, is, what are we talking about when we talk about they? And who are we, the us in this story, when we talk about us as sheep? What is our role? What should we be doing? And so as we look at this, that's going to be where we pick up. The first one I want to talk about, though, is actually the they. Um, because it shows up right in um, verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They did not understand what he was saying to them. They, by the way, is actually the Pharisees that we were just talking about last week in chapter 9. So if you'll remember, there was a blind man, and he was blind from birth, and then Jesus took some dirt and spit in it, made some mud, put it on his eyes, and, it, and he, he, got him, he sent him away to the pool of Siloam. And then he was able to see Jesus healed him. But because of that, the Pharisees said, that's work done on the Sabbath, and you've broken our rules. And then they got upset with the, the, the guy who was blind who could now see. They got in a discussion. And the Pharisees literally cast out the blind guy, kicked him out of the synagogue, and said, you can no longer be one of us. And they sent him off, packed him up and said, go, get out of here. That is the end of chapter 9. In fact, we'll read that very last verse, verse 41 of chapter 9. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to them. And then he says, truly, truly, I say to you in verse 1, there's no break between chapter 9 and 10. This is Jesus still talking to the Pharisees. We just took a week off for us. But now we're picking back up with that conversation. And Jesus, in that conversation about how they treated the blind man. In fact, if you remember the story just a little bit before that, it was the woman caught in adultery and they were pulling her out and ready to stone her. So how they treat people who are having difficulties in their life, Jesus is having a conversation with them. He tells this parable about good shepherds and about thieves and robbers and about wolves and hired hands and all kinds of other things. So that's the context that we're in. And that, in essence, is as we talk about they, who they are, we're talking about the Pharisees. We're talking about the people who should be part of God's kingdom who should be caring for the sheep, and they're not. And that's where we jump in. Now, to set this story just a little bit more, it's uh, to, how many of you have a flock of sheep? Not necessarily with you, but you have one. 
Yeah, see, this is the challenge, is that we, do, we just don't do sheep anymore quite like they did. In this day, this was a common illustration. It was something that they all saw. Even as they would have walked into a marketplace, there would have been sheep in the marketplace. They would have walked by sheep out in the fields. They would have seen shepherds. Some of them may have been shepherds or been hired hands. All of that would have been a common thing. For us, it's not so much the case. So when we start off and we, we get to this very thing where it says the sheepfold, he who does not enter the sheepfold, we got to imagine a, a huge circle that could hold multiple flocks of sheep. Because what would happen is that the shepherds would bring their sheep, and at night they could put them into a sheepfold, and there would be either somebody at the door that would guard the door, that's the gatekeeper, or they would have a door, and that's what Jesus says, he acts as a door. But that concept is, is there would only be one entrance, so the sheep could come in, and you didn't have to stay out at night watching all the sheep. And multiple shepherds could put their sheep in there, and because they spent so much time with the sheep, the sheep with the shepherd, that at any point in time, that if a shepherd was ready to take his sheep out, he could just call to them, and they would recognize his voice, and they would come. The other sheep that were not his wouldn't recognize his voice, because it would be like the voice of a stranger, and sheep actually get skittish and afraid, and they'd all move to the back. The sheep that were his would come forward, and they would take him back out to pasture. So that's the concept and the picture of where this story is taking place. A part of the story is in the sheepfold. So that's just a, a little bit of background in that part. The concept here, though, is that Jesus, right off the bat, in verse 1, says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. And, and just basically, the first clue that something isn't good for you in your life is, is if it comes in by another way. It's that idea that if something is sneaking into your life in a back way, in a not healthy way, not through the front door, then probably it's not good. And these are the kind of things you can think through examples in your life of where you may have something that you allow to enter into your life and it might not necessarily even be a good thing. And we, you can think about things like on the internet or, or things you watch on TV or even people you might hang out with or things you read, things you do. There are areas of our life where we allow things to climb into our world and into our life that ought not to be there. It should be those things that come in through the front door. Now, to give a better illustration of that in this sense, it's the concept that if at two in the morning you hear some, the sound of breaking glass somewhere around the kitchen living room of your house, you panic because who's in the house? And so you sneak around the corner and the person that broke through the window and is now in your living room, we can assume came in by another way, didn't come in by the front door. They're likely a thief and a robber. But if you step into the living room in the kitchen area and you find out that it's simply your teenage son and they're once again rummaging through the kitchen and they drop the glass, that individual comes through the front door. Most should, but that's what they, you know, that, that's the concept. It's just simply that there's somebody that comes into our life that it may be expected. There's somebody we know, they come in through the door, but there are others who come in other ways. To give an example of this one more time, when uh, my family lived up at Hume Lake, up in the mountains in the Sierra Nevadas, there's a lot of wild animals up there. 
And the way our house is laid out up there is we had a bedroom on one end, and then there's a long hall with a, a living room in the middle, and that long hall continued out to the other wing where the other bedrooms were, where our kids stayed. And one of the bedrooms where our youngest son stayed was actually up some stairs and in a loft area. So because it was kind of up in this loft area, we didn't have a door for that room. It just was open. You just went up the stairs and you were there. Well, one night, I hear some noise, and something to to kind of help you understand this story is that I wear glasses because uh, I'm nearsighted. I don't see well far away. So what that means is if I take my glasses off, those of you in the back are a blur. This is your time to stick your tongue out at me, that kind of a thing. I can't see you, but I can read well because I'm nearsighted. So that's why I do this with my glasses. It's, It's that kind of a thing. Here's why that plays out. I get up in the morning because I, or early in the morning, about two in the morning, I hear this noise in our living room and something is rummaging around in our living room. And so I get up out of bed and I'm not wearing my glasses, so I can barely see, but I open our bedroom door and I look down that hallway. And as I look down that hallway, way down at the end of the hallway, I see what looks to be like a bear in our house. And he's there rummaging around. So now that I know, then I can go back to bed. But the, the, the idea is, is now in my mind, I'm thinking there's, there's a bear. And I say that out loud. I go, oh no, he's in the house. And my wife is thinking, who's in the house? Because he's in the house. And so she said, so what is it? And I go, it's a bear. And now I'm confronted with the fact that the bear is sitting really near the stairs that lead up to my son's room with no door on it. And if I open up my bedroom door and step out to confront the bear, I'm likely to scare the bear. And where might he run? (laughs) Upstairs to my son's room. And I'm like, oh, good plan. This is great. No, it's like I'm, I'm kind of paralyzed. Like, what do I do? And I literally, I had to call a friend and have him come and open up a door so that when we could actually respond to the bear, the bear would have an exit route. The question is, is how did the bear get into the house? He, he used the front door. He literally, there was a little thumb latch and he put his paw on and he came in. There was a bowl of pistachios in their shell when we went to bed. When we got up, the bowl of pistachios was gone. All the shells, everything. He ate him completely, just shell and all. And then he also had bananas. When I looked at him, that's what he was doing. He was eating bananas, just sitting there, eating bananas, peel and all. He's just like going to town on all of this. He also, we had a, we had a little parakeet. It's tragic. No, the, the, the cage was open. The door was, was somehow open. The, there was feathers on the counter with blood. And, and we found the bird later in the Christmas tree. It was about Christmas time. And he's just sitting there and his heart's beating like crazy. And it's like, oh, if only birds could talk. I would love to hear that story. How did he get away? What happened? But here's the, um, yeah, here's the point where I forget the point of the story. And I go back to my notes. Uh, motivation. Motivation. This, is, this whole thing switches over to motivation. And I, I've already been warned off in the first service. I didn't finish the bear story. Everybody was nervous about it. We opened the door. And the, the primary lesson of the entire story is that if you have guests over, make sure your pistachios are pre-shelled. <laughs> Here's the deal. 
whether it's a thief breaking in, they have motivation for what drives them to do what they do. Whether it's your teenage son going into the kitchen, they have motivation for what they're going to do. Even the bear had motivation for what he was going to do. When we jump into this story, every one of those three elements has some type of motivation. So when we go into this, and we're going to start with they, the motivation that Jesus refers to right away is he's going to talk about their motivation a bit. We're going to take a look at it. And it's that we're all driven by different things. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ezekiel 34. And in Ezekiel 34, um, Jesus literally calls out, or um, when he does this in John, he's, he's referring to multiple times in Scripture the same metaphor is laid out about shepherds who are caring for their sheep. It shows up in Jeremiah, it shows up in the Psalms, and here in Ezekiel 34, it shows up here as well. Verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them." This is basically the same thing Jesus is calling out against the Pharisees who are supposed to care for the flock of Israel. And instead, they're driving out the man who was blind. They're driving out the woman who's caught in adultery. They're scattering the flock themselves. And what they do instead are they're feeding themselves from the flock. They're literally preying upon the people of Israel. And God is not happy about that. He calls it out and he says, this is wrong. Your motivation is purely selfish. Your motivation is about yourself. You are not doing it for the sheep. You're doing it for you. You think they exist for you. And it's the other way around. And this motivation that he's talking about is the one that when we talk about they, who they are and what they're doing, it's not a good thing. In uh, verse 10, he lays out the... So back to John. We're back in John 10. And John 10, in verse 10, it says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. And Jesus puts a contrast to that to say, that's one model. And he says instead, he says, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So Jesus' presence on scene, everything that's been discussed up to this point, Jesus shows up and says, this is what you're doing. Let me tell you what I'm here to do. I'm here to bring you life and to give you life abundantly. And that's the the contrast here. And then as he goes on, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That what they're doing is selfish. What he's doing is selfless. The laying down of his life. And he goes on and he says this four different times. The whole idea of what his role here is. And so who is Jesus? He is the good shepherd. 
He's the son of God. And in, in, we'll start with 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then jump down to 15. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. And if you jump down to verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again, that I might take it up again. Verse 18, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And the fourth time I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. That Jesus is coming down and he's saying, this is who you are. You're about your own selfish motives and desires. This is who I am, that I exist for this moment to come in and do my reason being here is so that I can lay down my life for the sheep. So it's a completely different contrast in this. And we get this picture of who they are and what they're doing. And then now we get a, a really clear picture about who he is. Now, in the middle of this, though, in verse 13, one of these characters shows up and it says, um, well, let's, let's jump to verse 12. He who, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. This idea about the wolf and, and what is happening here is, uh, is an interesting thing. The, the whole thing about the hired hand fleeing from a wolf. And I would guess that if we've seen Hollywood movies about wolves, and I just saw a, a bike that had the name on the bike named Cujo. Anybody remember Cujo? Yeah, just a few people. It was, a, it was about a wild wolf, that kind of a thing. And they scare us to death. But in this scenario, you have to understand that this is different. What the hired hand does is he flees, but he's not fleeing because of the wolf. And you may go, oh, well, wait a minute. He just, it just said, he, the wolf shows up, he flees. That's what that's about. Come back and read this verse. Because this verse puts it in a completely different context. It says, he flees because... You guys reading it? He flees because... He is a hired hand, and listen to the next part, and he cares nothing for the sheep. The reason why he leaves isn't because of the wolf. It's because he has no empathy, no compassion. He doesn't care anything for the sheep. Once again, he signs that off onto the they, but when he puts it in perspective, this whole thing of laying down his life is to start to tell the picture of how much Jesus does care for the sheep, that he's willing to lay, his down, lay down his life for the sheep. And that picture right there stops and says, this hired hand, he's there because of own motivations. He gets paid to be there. That's why he's there. When the wolf shows up, he goes, I don't get paid enough for this. And he just leaves. He doesn't care about the sheep at all. So this whole thing about the wolf, I, um, I don't know a lot about wolves, so I went to YouTube so I could find out more about wolves and simply typed in wolves scattering sheep and uh, all kinds of videos pop up. And this idea of the wolf that comes in and actually attacks the sheep and scatters them is exactly true. There are videos out there. I would have had set it up to show one this morning, but it's a little gruesome. 
They, they're literally, the wolf goes into the flock of sheep and he attacks it from behind, pulls it down. Once it's down, he begins to bite either at the throat or head or goes for that soft underbelly part and just starts biting away until the, the sheep is immobile. Not dead, it's just kind of laying there in trouble. As soon as the, the sheep is immobile, the wolf takes off and grabs another sheep and drops it. And then another sheep and drops it and goes to another sheep. One wolf, not a pack of wolves, one wolf goes through and decimates an entire flock of sheep and then leaves, oftentimes not eating any of the sheep. It is just there to kill, still, and destroy. And you watch it and you watch in the video and you're going, this is insane. What is the purpose of this? It's just going out and destroying sheep. Now, those of you that are going to be Googling that right now, please put your phones away. You can look after church, all right? What's fascinating is I'm thinking that happened in the past. As I Google it, guess what pops up? A news story from last week in Oregon that this happened with one flock of sheep, one wolf. Wolf goes into the flock and kills 44 sheep by himself. Just does 44 sheep. And in Denmark last week, another place, 25 sheep are killed. And that was the 28th attack this year. And you're looking at it going, this is a thing that wolves go around and just kill sheep. Jesus knows his stuff. He's using this illustration to say, this is what's going on in this. But in this point, another one pops up and it's in Mongolia and there's a family there and their flock is out there. And this time it's a whole um, pack of wolves and the wolves are running towards the sheep. And literally the family jumps up and starts running towards the wolves. And the next part of the video is the wolves running away. That the wolf doesn't want to mess with the shepherd. That if the shepherd cares for the sheep, all he has to do is move towards the sheep. And by moving towards the sheep, they begin to care for the sheep because the wolf doesn't want to mess around. It's just like a free game they do. I'm not sure what drives a wolf. But at this point in time, that's the illustration that's laid out. The thing about it is, you watch the videos or you can imagine it, is that after 44 sheep are killed... It's just this whole field, this pasture is a mess. There's sheep laying around, it's messy everywhere. If you go back to 24 or, X, or Ezekiel 34, this is the story that kind of lays out. Listen to it again. That as it comes in, um, we're going to look at verse 4. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. That this idea that what happens is when we look at the sheep, the sheep are oftentimes messy. Those are, you listen to that and the injured, the sick, the lost, those who have strayed. How many of you have got somebody in your life that matches that description? That they're a bit broken, they're a bit messy, they're a bit lost. And how many of you have felt the hesitation of, yeah, I don't really want to get involved right now? I have. I've felt that, that when I know somebody who's in a, in a messy spot in their life, or they're making a mess of their life, I'm not necessarily drawn to move towards them because I know it's going to get complicated. It's going to get messy. And then I sometimes just go, oh, I don't know if I have time for them right now. This is the picture of what they've been doing, the they, 
And yet this is the picture of what Jesus does is he literally comes and says, I'd lay down my life. I'm actually going to move towards them. I'm actually going to be there and be a part of that moment where they're in their tragedy. So our personal tragedy is that uh, just a a few weeks ago, our son-in-law from my middle daughter, um, through some complications of a surgery, uh, passed away. And they have, uh, they had four kids, he died, and then their fifth child was born two weeks later. So my daughter has five kids now without her husband, and the, the story, and I'm not going to go too much into details, but the, the bottom line is, is that um, once he passed away, we're in Colorado where she lives, and we're sitting in the hospital room, and it's time to start finding a place for, to hold a funeral, to have a service. And we, because he was a firefighter, a lot of firefighters were going to attend. So we needed a large church, sort of like this, that would be large enough for the funeral. So we looked and found uh, four or five different churches that were large enough. And then we called them to see if, one, their dates were open, if we could do the service. But two, that we would come over to see the building to see if it would work for us. And so we called five different churches to see about their availability and when we could set up a tour. And then that night, we're in the hospital, and we're crying, and we're just going through the loss and the tragedy. And in the door walks this man, and he comes up, and he asks a couple of questions and figures out that, that it's us that's going through this tragedy. And, and then he stops and says, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor at this one church that you called. And we're like, yeah? You know, thinking, are you really here to show up? Are you bringing a brochure? Are you going to, like, advertise? Like, oh, our church is going to be the best for the funeral. Instead, what he did was he showed up that night all on his own. He came, showed up at the hospital, and he spent the next hour and a half just sitting with the family, visiting with us, praying with us in the middle of our tragedy. We hadn't chosen his church. We didn't pick him. We didn't ask about him. We didn't say, can you come? Just simply because we said, we're going to have to have a, a service. Is your church available? He stopped whatever he was doing at home with his family. He got in the car, and it was a snowy, nasty night in Denver. And he got in his car, drove through the snowstorm, showed up at our hospital, found us in the right room, and then sat down with us and spent an hour and a half with us. Messy people, broken people, scattered people, injured people, wounded people. And he did that perfect model of what Jesus is all about. In the middle of the mess... He moved towards us. This model of what Jesus does for us, what he's proclaiming in this text, is not about moving away, not about avoiding, not just simply preying upon the things that are good for us that bring us pleasure, but instead just the opposite, laying down his life, moving towards to solve our problems and our challenges. Any guess which church we picked? We picked his church. Because of one man who exemplified this very model that Jesus is laying out. He's having a conversation with they, with the Pharisees, because they are living their life for themselves. They've made sure their life is comfortable. And Jesus is going, no, who are you? If you're followers of me, you would be laying down your life for others. This is the model that Jesus lays out. This is the model that Jesus does. This is exactly his life. 
Jesus pursues us. In fact, in this passage on Ezekiel 34, I'm going to read that same verse 4, but all I'm going to do is do it the way that Jesus would do in this mark. So instead of the weak you have not strengthened, in this case, the weak he has strengthened. He's strengthened the weak. He has healed the sick. He has bound up the injured. He has brought back the strayed. He has sought after the lost. And with love and compassion, he has ruled over them. It's a completely different picture of who we are, who we should be, based on the model of who Jesus is and what he does for us. This motivation, this idea, if you think about it again, remember the bear, he's motivated by his own selfish desires and food, and he comes in and almost eats our parakeet. It's motivation that drives him. The thief and robber is motivation that drives him. The Pharisees of they, it's motivation. The hired hand, it's only about the money. He takes off. He doesn't care about the sheep. But Jesus steps out, and he's motivated by a completely different thing about his love and care for each one of us, each one of you. Some of you are messy. Nah, all of you are messy. All of you are messy. And this is the beautiful part. Jesus stops and says, I'm coming after you. I am coming for you. I am pursuing you. I am going to lay down my life for you. What a beautiful thing. That's a good shepherd. I want to read out of uh, John 10, or um, sorry, we've been doing John 10, out of Romans 5. And in Romans 5, this thing is laid out of what he's done. Romans 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. It's a beautiful story of what Jesus does on our behalf for us. The wolf, by the way, in this story is not Satan. So many times we think through the idea of the wolf comes to kill, steal, and destroy, and we put that picture in our mind that that's got to be Satan. But the image doesn't work that way. What Jesus laid down his life to do was to make the wolf completely powerless. But if Jesus just simply stops and allows, like, so a wolf's attacking and he lays down his life and the wolf kills Jesus, then the wolf's free to take on the sheep, Right? That makes no sense that, that Satan would destroy Jesus and, and then be able to just have at the sheep. Instead, whatever this thing that Jesus does, and we just read what it was that he did, when he does it, when he lays down his life, it destroys the power of the wolf. The power of the wolf, is, it, the wolf is our sin. It is the judgment that comes upon us because we are imperfect human beings. We are unrighteous. We cannot have a relationship with a righteous God. That judgment comes upon us and the, the wages of sin is death. That's the wolf. 
And Jesus steps in with that wolf that's praying about, lays down his life, and as that perfect lamb, we just sing it, the lion and the lamb, that lamb is the perfect sacrifice whose blood covers all of our sin, past, present, and future, if we are his sheep. That should drive us to stop and go, how do I become a sheep? How do I become one of his? The, 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 the son of God from heaven would come and lay down his life and be my shepherd. That's who he is. He calls us and those who he is hear his voice and follow. When he calls, will you respond and follow his voice? The way to be his is when he tugs on your heart that if he calls you, you respond to that call. Some of us here are broken. Some of us are hurting. Some of you may not know who Jesus is and you're intrigued by it and yet you hear even now his voice calling to you. He's calling and saying, come to me, all you who are la- all who you would labor and are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. It's the voice of God himself saying, come, I am the good shepherd and I want to bring you peace. I want to bind you up. I want to keep you back from being scattered. I want to care for you. This is who Jesus is. That's who they are. And the last question is, who are we? See, this idea of being a follower of Jesus Christ, the defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is that they would, in fact, follow Jesus. I know that seems complicated, so I'm going to say it again. The defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is that they would, in fact, follow Jesus. Those times when God whispers to you, Reach out to that person that's a bit messy. Stop sinning in that way. Go do good in this way. God whispers to us all the time. He speaks to us on a regular basis. The good shepherd is good and he talks with us. And the sheep hear his voice and follow. One of the scariest things we can do is if God is speaking with us, he's trying to get our attention and we do not respond. The defining characteristic of a follower of Jesus is that they, in fact, follow Jesus. Today, I would just ask that if some of you don't know Jesus and you hear his voice calling to you, come talk with us. Um, We'll be down here in front. There'll be a prayer room. You can come have a conversation with us. We'll tell you more about that. For many of the rest of us who would identify as followers of Jesus then the defining characteristic is listen to his voice and follow him. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am so grateful for your love for us. So grateful that you lay down your life of your own accord. That by your choice, your motivation was your love for us. And Lord, you didn't do it because of some other thing you gained, but you did it so that we would gain a relationship with you. And I would ask, Lord, that for anyone in this room who is hearing your voice right now, that you would make it clear, that you would give them the courage to simply move towards you, recognizing that you have already moved towards them. And Lord, for those of us who may be hurting, who are wrestling with issues, difficulties in our life, may we find in you the caring, healing hands of a compassionate shepherd as well. Lord, we need you. We need to hear your voice, and we ask these things in your name.
Amen.